0: For me, I'll often say with the person I'm with, just notice that you looked at me for the first Mm -hmm. time during the session. Or I might say, you know, I noticed that you keep looking away. Or when you say that, your spine contracts. Let's go with that. Mm -hmm. Was there a moment of misattunement or, oh, well, some people will say, well, I'm kind of embarrassed, but I feel like I want to get away from you, right? Let's work with that, because I imagine in your history, there were many times that you needed to get away from someone and you weren't able to get away, or we know this is connected to something in your history.
1: Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored.
0: Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now, here your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott.
1: So hey, everybody, I'm so excited to bring to you an expert in the field of somatic experiencing. Her name is Abby Blakesley. So hi, Abby, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for inviting me. There is a audience member that recommended you and we are going to thank her at some point when that comes through. But that's how we found out about you is somebody you trained that you mentor someone thought you would be a great guest. And as I've learned more about you, I know our audience is going to love to learn more about the nervous system and taming the nervous system (laughs) and all of that. So can we start maybe by just saying a little bit about yourself so people can understand where you're
0: coming from? And then maybe if you'll just go ahead and jump into SC. Absolutely. So I actually started out in my professional life as a body worker. And I love body work because when I was a little kid, when I would rub the knots out of my parents' back, they would get me ice cream. (laughs) I got really involved. I got, you know, phone books, I put dimes underneath, I try to feel the dimes so that I could get better at doing the body work. So I was really, you know, already interested in how people carry tension in the musculature and how to help people to relax. And of course, there was a direct reward Yes, literally. <laughs> right, right. <So laughs> for your viscera in your right here. <laughs> exactly. So that's the story of how I got involved in all the somatic work. But when I was working with people on this table, I became really fascinated with a memory that would come up or maybe an emotion that a person hadn't felt for a long time. And I thought, you know, there's some interconnection here between the mind and the body that I'd like to know more about. So that led me into a master's in counseling and depth psychology, and then a PhD in clinical and somatic psychology. And all the while, I was studying somatic experiencing, which is developed by Dr. Peter Levine. And it really has formed the basis of most of my somatic work, although of course, I draw from traditional psychology as well. But the transformation that I saw in working directly with the nervous system over and over and helping people to reorganize, we call it the subcortical or the lower brain. And all of this is non-conscious, right? It's if, if we knew how to get better, we'd just decide we'd get better and we're smart, right? And we right. If, if insight alone could cure us, <laughs> only, we, right? would, we would have it together, right? But we think that consciousness drives the show, but it really doesn't. And you have all of these habits, all of these ways that we are in the world that's more non-conscious and that we've developed, you know, some of those are hardwired for basic survival. And then we also have learned responses that get conditioned responses, associative responses that get paired to that over time. But we can work with the nervous system and we can work with the brain, right? Neuroplasticity, thank goodness. And we can rewire the brain. We can retrain the nervous system as you're saying and really recover from trauma. But I think it's increased resilience as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Well what I love about it too is that, you know, as the science comes out and everything, that we can see how more and more we are actually damaged by, you know, neglect or abuse or, like, it, the, the, there's physiological structural damage that you can see. And so that can get very depressing, right? But what I really like about SC and what we're all about is, like, there's a lot of hope, too, and that, you know, that we can re-regulate and that we can relearn and that we can basically heal and grow, first of all, however old we are, but also whatever has happened to us. So I like the hope that comes with the SE model. So can you just, before we get into some of the more specifics, can you just say a little bit about what SE is, like maybe a couple of the tenets of SE, so people can get an outline there.
0: I'd be delighted to. So somatic means body oriented, and experiencing as a verb. Okay. So it is the experience of the body in the present moment so all of the work is present centered we don't ask what were you feeling back then it's as you think about that or as you're sitting here with me right now what sensations do you notice in your body or what do you become aware of in this moment and the healing happens in the here and now so that's really important that we keep refocusing on what is happening in the body what's happening in the physiology what movements are arising, and how can we help, and I'll get more in detail about this as we go along, how can we help the person and the nervous system to re-regulate? Or where is it stuck? Mm -hmm. So, okay, here's a question of just like a practical question, right? Yeah. So
1: somebody comes in and they want to tell you about their partner and their fight, let's say, or how their child is – having trouble at school or whatever the content is. Like I can imagine someone feeling interrupted from the process from the content, even though you're going more to what's the literal, you know, what is actually the dysregulation, what's bothering them. So I get it theoretically, but I am curious, like how that you navigate that from going from content to process. It's
0: a wonderful question. People respond very differently. Some people find it an absolute relief that they don't have to tell their story. There's also a way once you learn the work that you can do it very seamlessly. And it's important to listen and to connect, right, for somebody to feel felt, as Daniel Siegel says. And then just taking a pause. And what I would say, and this is from a psychotherapeutic model, because... We train people in somatic experience, body workers, mindfulness teachers, coaches, Mm. all different kinds of ways because everybody has body and physiology. But I might say something like, you know what you're sharing is so much, it sounds like such a stressful week. Or it sounds like this has been really difficult for you. Before we go on and come up with some more practical ways that we can move forward, would you be willing to take a pause to just feel into the impact Mm -hmm. what you're sharing and let's see if we can help you to get a little bit of relief right here and now Mm -hmm. that's that's lovely it's so contingent and that you're
1: responding so in the moment to what they're putting out there that if for some reason they weren't able to do that or or ready to follow you or needed to finish the story before or that it just seems like that it's kind of like a mother and a baby that there would be, be mutual responsiveness
0: absolutely But it's not
1: just a technique that you're going to pound over somebody's head.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. I heard at one time, you know, we have new learners. And someone said, I I can't stand SE because my therapist just keeps asking her for sensation and I can't access sensation. But I want to tell my story. (laughs) Yeah. Or they just they have a layer of dissociation or disconnection from the body for good reason. So it takes time where we might not even be directing somebody to their internal experience for quite a while. I can give a couple of different exercises. It's more around taking a pause from the trauma content, right? Mm -hmm. And so as a person talks about something that they have a charge around, whether it's high charge, stuck on high sympathetic, right, excitation, Mm -hmm. or low, low tone, like more in the freeze, low parasympathetic it can show up in different ways taking a pause just from the content and saying would you be willing before we go on just to look around we call it like downregulating the amygdala there's all of this threat right this warning center of the brain going something bad is happening something bad is happening yeah respond 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 and you're saying just notice the lamp look at a pillow, feel something, listen to something. It can be orienting in the present moment. Mm -hmm. That just creates a little pause for the brain to recognize nothing bad is happening right here and right now. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then you get more of this down-regulation wave from taking that pause. Peter Levine talks about trauma is not in the event, it's in the ongoing signals in the nervous system. So if I can help someone recognize that slowing down, so this is a piece, right? And actually getting their buy-in to some degree of slowing down, coming present, becoming more mindful. Then we might go back into the trauma for a while. Mm -hmm. And then we might pause, slow down, Mm -hmm. become more mindful. And that's actually starting to create a rhythm in the system that has been highly stuck in one, you know, massive pattern. It might not even be with sensation, but you are working with the nervous system in the moment. Mm-hmm. And there are all different kinds of things you can track from image to the way it behavior, the way the person is moving, you know, the affect or the emotion. That makes me think of pendulating,
1: being able to learn to titrate as you're directing them to focus in different places. Cause I, I totally know so many people, when you ask them to do a body scan or, or, you know, with their experience in the moment, it's it really is, a, I have no idea. I do not know from my shoulders down, and that's kind of what I was thinking about, and sort of the, it's a developed skill to be able to translate that into a language that is speakable, that we can talk about, moving that implicit into words.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then, you know, when you talk about pendulation, Peter Levine defines that as the expansion of contraction of all things, moving between expanded states and contracted states, right? And this could be in the world of physics, but it's also in the deeper rhythms of Mm -hmm. the body and the nervous system psychologically too, Mm -hmm. right? So we're looking for those places that are stuck. They could be stuck in an expanded state or they could be stuck in a
1: contracted state. So let me ask you, so there's somebody listening and they're saying, what do you mean stuck? How how would you know if you're stuck? What, What are some of the signs that your body is
0: stuck? So could we try some exercises to start and then branch over into some more? Because I'd love to give some practical ways that people can attune and attend to their bodies. That's wonderful. And if you're listening, really
1: see if you can slow down what you're doing. A lot of times we're multitasking and either come back to this at a time where you can attend a little more fully or see if you can just kind of really tune in and hear this and begin to kind of be like this is alive, like be with us as we're doing this. This is for everybody.
0: So please, it uh, sounds very exciting. Go ahead. So you'll notice where, if where your body is maybe at baseline right now. So again, just sort of checking in, maybe noticing some of your internal state. And the first, we'll call it stabilization or a regulation tool. And now what we're looking for is a shift from whatever state you're in to a place that feels better to you. For some people, that might feel calmer, more parasympathetic. But for other people, it might be you might feel more aliveness, more energy, more vitality. And for other people, it's just that you're feeling anything. yeah from nothing to something from nothing to something though sometimes when you go from nothing to something what you do notice is higher charge so just know that there there's many different possibilities here but if you can feel the higher charge or maybe you feel a little bit more stuck on off try one of the next things that we're going to do and see if you can get a little bit more organization in that right feeling a little bit better from that state that you're sensing into so the first one that I'd like to invite you to do is a basic orienting. Orienting is present centered, and you can orient through any of your five senses. For many people, it's really helpful visually. So you know, using your head, your neck, and your eyes. Just beginning to look around the space. Now I can see that Sue's body likes that. <laughs> um, I noticed that you took a deeper breath. Is why well. mm-hmm. I said that. Or there seemed to be a shift inside. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There is a way that when
1: like and seeing things when we have created those things to be there, like there are things. This is my association. And so it's like you see yourself in your environment
0: or it's they're your comfortable objects. You often choose the things in your environment. They might be meaningful or soothing or even just familiar. Familiar, absolutely. So that's another thing. People can might be able to you know, just orient more generally in the space, and that can be calming. Now, for some people, visual orienting is not calming. It actually is more distressing. But they can listen to the sounds in the room or your clothing. Many people choose clothing because it's from a tactile perspective. It's, mm-hmm. it's soft or it's rough or it's, you know, there's some kind of feeling that mm-hmm. that is. So you can help them to notice all of the different five senses and find ways that they can orient that's helpful. Mm-hmm. So you can also look at a specific object. Where do your eyes land? Where are your eyes drawn? So Sue, can I, may I ask you, if you look around for a moment, where are your eyes drawn? Well, really, through my
1: uh, screen <laughs> where I'm seeing my cat move around is one. But as I look around, I've got some live plants right outside of the view that are meaningful to me in different ways. So that's probably in the physical space would be these kind of, there's a succulent and then some just cut flowers that are, wildflowers that are
0: over there, so. And if you take a moment just to draw them to you with your eyes mm-hmm. and let yourself be in the space with them, what do you notice in your body? What sensations do you become aware of? What's the shift inside? That feels pleasant. I can begin to feel the
1: difference between the thinking and the feeling so that I'm more noticing what I'm thinking and not saying. So just basically what it feels like is it's just like bringing online, you know, my chest, my heat, even a little bit of heat, Mm -hmm. uh, comfort, a little discomfort because of there's a way that this is uh, quite personal and intimate and kind of cuts through defenses and doing this publicly. So that was when I was aware of like, well, okay, that's happening and I'm good with that. I want that to happen because this is what happens.
0: Right. And I noticed even as you said that you took even a bit of a deeper breath. And that's, again, this implicit, this more the underneath part of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can feel vulnerable. And yet it's this essential aspect of our being, you know, that we're expressing in every moment, whether we put our words to it or not. Or yeah. notice it, or but well, you mentioned the pleasant, mm-hmm. the pleasant feeling with the plants. If we mm-hmm. go back, this is you know multi dimensions here. What's your sort of your associations to what you're experiencing right now? Mm-hmm. But the pleasantness is that in your chest or your throat, your arms, your legs, and what is the quality of the pleasant feeling? Is it soft, warm?
1: For some reason, I think I feel it. This is uh, odd, but like in my cheeks, uh uh-huh. Like my back, like a relaxed back a little bit. Um, part of my experience is what I'm seeing is a uh, it's a handmade pot Mm. so it's very has a lot of texture to it so it's also stimulating you know like this is someone's have their hands in it and it's a creation you know so that's some of what I was taking in is like that's a manifestation of someone's hands and mind and heart (laughs) you know what I mean that then is holding the succulent it's a little bit of a sensual thing
0: yeah, yeah, and it sounds like maybe even a little appreciation or mm-hmm. connection, and there's a little more vitality
1: in that one too. Yeah, that's what I was aware of is like it's it's not just calming, it's also kind of exciting and stimulating too. Like I can feel both.
0: And the, the exciting part is in your throat, your chest, and the sensation of the excitement around that. Yeah, it makes me want to like touch it or, you know, feel it. Yeah, so there's the feeling of the excitement on the inside. Does it go upward or outward or is it tingly? Is it? I would call it a little
1: soft, gentle spiral internally. Like not, not when you're anxious and you're spinning, right? Like that's another experience I can have. But almost like if you were to, here's my association, like if you were to have your feet dangling your feet in some water and you begin to like circle your foot, you know, how it kind of creates Mm -hmm. this little spiral uh, that's soft and gentle, but kind of, again, it's
0: soft, but interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's soft, but there's movement to it. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So maybe just taking a moment to sense and to be in both the, there's the, that's sort of the softening, but there's also this pleasant feeling of of movement,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. spiral. And this is such a, a wonderful example, Sue. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Because one of the ways to get unstuck from trauma, a traumatic response, where we're, our physiology is in a survival pattern, mm-hmm. we're in high alert as if the trauma is still happening, as if the event is still happening, we're primed to, to jump right, to startle, we're primed to fight, we're primed to flee, or maybe we're stuck in freeze. Mm-hmm. Whether it's it, it can come up when there's an event that's similar to the original event, so something reminds us lower, or reminds the lower brain, right? and then it goes into this survival pattern because that's what helped us to survive, or it can actually get grooved in the nervous system Pattern to be stuck in fight, flight, or freeze for long, long periods of time, and for some people, I you know I've worked with them, and they say, you know, I've been in freeze for decades, mm-hmm. and now through some of what we were doing right here, just pausing, taking in the environment and tracking how the nervous what the nervous system does with that it's great also in the sense that it moves and you
1: pointing out like a flow then made me aware of the movement of it which when I think of that with clients it's you know the notion of any feeling will move if we stay with it Mm -hmm. that we don't have to do anything with it but that it'll it'll shift that it might grow it'll transform it'll as far as being able to just stay with it and that brought to mind is like it's a again it comes with a mastery I could imagine it coming into a mastery I was relating to you I had a somebody that I've worked with that has talked about legs and hips and pelvis literally being clenched until now until now we're able to talk he didn't even know it so how we started was how do you know if you're stuck and so the person listening out there what I'm hearing you say is it's like a movement Like it's going from what you're aware of to something more comfortable. Is that right? If I'm just kind of repeating.
0: Or whether you become more aware of something you haven't been aware of. Right. Or you become more regulated. For some people, it will be just a little bit. It's little by little that you grow over a long period of time. Yep. And then for others, just attending to what Mm -hmm. is. That helps to reinstate this natural pendulation or the rhythm of the nervous system. We wanna be able to move between states of expansion and contraction. We wanna be able to move when something threatening comes towards us, right? Our bodies will instinctually go into a threat response cycle. And this is one of the great gifts in my mind that I think Dr. Peter Levine has offered to us, Mm -hmm. is the question of, you know, why do wild animals not walk around with post-traumatic stress disorder? Right. And there's some really great other uh, literature about that by Dr. Robert Sapolsky, why zebras don't get ulcers. Because if they did, they'd be lunch. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and insomnia and uh, mm-hmm. startle response. Startle, right. I mean, they're pretty startling. a lot of prey animals are startling, but they can go back to grazing, they can go back to mating behaviors, they can mm-hmm. you know, they can move within the environment where there there's a regulatory flow between All right, now I'm eating my food. Now there's something in the environment that calls my attention. And I go into an alert, go into a defensive orient, and I evaluate, orienting. And I evaluate, do I approach or do I avoid? Mm -hmm. Oh, I avoid. There's something dangerous here. With humans, we might go more into a social response. Who are you? What are you doing here? Get away from me. Stop. Stop. I love both kind of flipping back and forth between
1: the wild animal and the human because I really can, I I kind of almost think about ears pricked, (laughs) orienting, turning, this fast evaluation that's happening.
0: We're not far from that. (laughs) And human beings do the same quick evaluation sequence that animals do. In fact, it's mitigated by the lower brain. Mm-hmm. So the amygdala, the hippocampus, but the neocortex is the last, the thinking, the rational brain, the last thing to know. Peter Levine tells a story about a colleague of his who was on safari in Africa and mm-hmm. had her toddler in the front seat. And before she knew it, the window was open. She jumped across, rolled up the window. She didn't really know why she was doing it. Mm-hmm. Two seconds later, a giant python hit the window and mm-hmm. fell. But something from her five senses gathered, mm-hmm. that something dangerous was occurring to her mm-hmm. offspring. Mm-hmm. And she jumped into action. So then she got a, a burst, right, of sympathetic or excitation. Right. And she executed a whole movement sequence. Not her rational brain, Totally not, not knowing. Thank goodness. Right? It's, it's too, too slow. Slow. Right, it's slow. And you know, you could go into fight, you could go into flight. Now those are active defensive responses. The body might also go into a passive defensive response, which is a freeze response. This is really important. You know, there was not a lot of research done on the freeze response in humans. Some with sexual assault survivors with tonic immobility. But more and more, we're seeing that many of the symptoms of trauma have correlates to being stuck in this freeze, low tone, heart rate goes into a slow state, like for hibernation, digestion slows down, low heart rate variability, circulation, there's nothing pumping to the arms and the legs. So everything shifts into this near-death state. Mm-hmm. Now, the positive part of that is that while well, you see lots of YouTubes, for example, type in Impala and the Baboon, yeah? And you'll see, it's, it's actually an amazing video, where the Impala is caught by a, a cheetah at a park, and it goes into freeze. Then the cheetah is worn out from the chase, So I think it's a hyena comes along and sort of chasing away. And then these baboons, their baboons save impalas all the time. It's really amazing. There are many videos of this, but the baboons start to come over and the cheetah kind of moves away and it gives the impala time to come out of the state of freeze. And you start to see it. It's barely breathing. It looks like it's dead. And then these deep breaths start to come in. Its eyes start to water Mm -hmm. and then it starts to shake and tremble, which is a common response. I'm sure if I asked the Impala, how are you feeling on the inside? The Impala would say I'm feeling, you know, cold to more warm or even quite hot. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's sort of this discharge or a state change that occurs as the body comes out of shock. Mm -hmm. As the animal's body comes out of shock and as the human body comes out of shock. So allowing time freeze should be time limited, and then you see the impala. It shakes for a while. Its mouth is moving. Its jaw is moving, and then it just jumps right up and runs away. Mm -hmm. And then the cheetah comes back and is looking around like where to go. So it's a survival mechanism that we have that that we share, and tending to the sensations of the freeze and beginning to allow time for the freeze to complete. So this mm-hmm. is another important piece along a biological model that Peter mm-hmm. Levine talks about. We might discharge or release in the body through sensation, right? Mm-hmm. Following sensation, shaking, trembling, heat, mm-hmm. gurgling, temperature shifts, mm-hmm. and then we feel more regulated after that kind of a, a release. But we also might have an incomplete defensive response So Peter talks about this as the nervous system is all dressed up with nowhere to go. I couldn't fight the bullies, right? I I couldn't get away. So there's inhibited fight or inhibited flight. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: then the next time something happens, maybe even later in my life, I have a boss that I need to talk to about some workplace difficulties. But my body is still in inhibited fight which doesn't allow me to be assertive in a sense, or if I'm assertive, my body responds as if I'm in danger. So, you know, we may work with the boss, right? And this cues in the body in relationship to that, but it's the inhibited fight. So to go back in in the memory, what needed to happen that didn't get to happen and not in the imagination, because you can say, well, I wanted to push them away. But when you ask the body, as you think about that, as you feel the freeze and then the person is feeling more mobilized over time, they come out of the freeze into this more mobilized place naturally. What does your body want to do right now? All kinds of interesting things. I, I want to kick. I want to push. I want to, it is so weird. I, my jaw is opening and closing. Well, let that happen for a while and let's mm-hmm. see what happens next. Wow, I just feel like I want to bite, right? Mm-hmm. Or if I feel like flames could come out like I was a dragon, Let yourself feel that, that right? So there's these completion cycles. And then the the next time that the body, you know, the person comes up with a fight situation, they don't have that same stuck signaling of the inhibited fight. They have that channel available to have multiple options of response. It's gotten reorganized. That's right.
1: You've kind of introduced different implicit pathways by
0: completing the act yep and we do that in slow motion so Mm -hmm. it's not a cathartic model and part of the reason why i mean someone might want to punch a couple times quickly or move their legs quickly for a moment just to feel into their legs but let's imagine like a running response So I'd say, you know, feel the bilateral movement, right? Feel the the movement of the running and gently let your body feel all of the energy that was there to run out of the building at 911, right? Mm -hmm. Right? Run out of the tower. And feel all of that. My heart is beating, they'd say, right? My mouth is dry and high sympathetic arousal. So feel the energy of that and let your body move with it. They can even let go of the original image, but they're allowing this sort of sensory motor completion. And as they feel the high charge and energy, they're slowly moving their body and the brain is rewiring. I want to move. I can move. I want to move. I can move. All the energy behind that slow movement. I want to move. I can move. And there's a way that that slow movement along with the internal bodily awareness can help to, as we talked about, you know, retraining the nervous system or with neuroplasticity, it really lays down a more concrete pathway of agency and of capability. Yeah,
1: I really like that. And one of the things it's reminding me of is, and this is a SE, when you're talking about slowing it down, like really slowing it down. Mm. And how I've seen that so beneficial is so when, for example, when somebody gets very disorganized, to me, I think of it as like it's, it's beginning to map the system, which again makes it from implicit to explicit. But because by slowing it down, it's not that, for example, I'm hopeless always or I'm in despair or whatever the thing is. It's like when it's frame by frame, then I think of it as a map or a scaffold to begin to understand it, but also to make it tolerable. To titrate it so that you can go into some of the more painful
0: feelings. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, if we, we think about somebody who's shut down, i give you a couple more tools that you Great. can use. We talked about orienting, then there's the grounding. So, grounding is really the felt sense of where you are in connection to gravity. So, some people ground more through their feet, some people through their pelvis, some people through their back. And so where do you feel a sense of weightedness? I'll, I'll guide, Sue, so I'm just going to guide the listeners through it for now. So noticing in the moment, even if you're standing or you're sitting in a car, I used to live in Los Angeles, now I live in Montana, so I had those long commutes with podcasts, which now I, I do miss some of that, <laughs> not the long commutes, but the, the time with podcasts. Working out is the other time that people listen a lot, so. Yeah, yeah, so you can notice if you're working out too, right, the contact with your feet Mm -hmm. as you're moving. So it's a sense of gravity and maybe just taking some time to notice a sensation of weightedness. And if you feel more contact with your feet, with your seat, or with your back. And bringing your attention perhaps more to one where you're feeling more weighted – And noticing what sensations you feel in your body. In particular, is this helpful for you in some way? For many people, actually quite a large subset of people, grounding tends to be relaxing or settling, a deeper breath, a feeling of slowing down, a sensation of dropping in, quieting, a softening But not everybody, because remember, all of these may be more disorganizing for some people. So we're just kind of, I'm offering a couple of different tools and see what might work for you. Another is self-contact. So you can notice just how you're standing or sitting in the moment. So, for example, right now I have my ankles crossed, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and that's a familiar position. So noticing just if you're in a familiar position for you. Mm -hmm. and how that might be helpful, if it's helpful. Mm -hmm. Your body often goes into these positions because it's containing or resourcing. And if you're in a position that doesn't feel that, you can move to one that does. And just taking a moment to take in what you naturally do and notice how that makes your body feel. Both the sensations, do you feel more alive? Do you feel more relaxed? Do you feel more present? And now you can actually direct contact. So many people put their hand on their chest, mm-hmm. other people on their belly. You can also put your hand on the back of your neck, the, the, like the brainstem, and then another hand on your forehead for the neocortex. It's like a little bit of a hold. I'm confused now. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So one hand on the back of the neck kind of near the occiput, that little divot, mm-hmm. right? And you can just even imagine the structure of your brainstem. So, there's a hand on the forehead,
1: and then there's a hand kind of, you know, I put it up underneath my hair, kind of pressing.
0: It's like a holding of the heavy head. Of the heavy head. And for many people, this can be very soothing. It feels like, you know, everything's draining down, and there's a softening of the face and you know, a warmth. Or, again, greater awareness of I can feel more flow in my body or more energy or I can feel electricity. There's a lot of different possibilities. It's like interoception or the awareness of one's own body. When we bring consciousness and sensation together, it's kind of
1: poetic. You know, a lot of folks are familiar with polyvagal, interoception and neuroception,
0: similar, different... They are different. So interoception is studied by Dr. Bud Craig, who's a wonderful uh, not-for-the-faint-of-heart book called How Do You Feel? But they recognized quite early on with functional magnetic resonance imaging studies, fMRI studies, where there's blood flow in the brain. When people felt cold, this area in the insular cortex would light up. So the insula The insula is one of my favorite parts of the brain as is research. Mm -hmm. And so then they started to map all different kinds of sensory experiences that people became aware of. Now, I have sensations occurring in my body right now that I'm not aware of. So my insula is not going to light up. But if I'm aware of the warmth in my hands, then the insula lights up. Mm -hmm. It's a crossroads between sort of consciousness and internal bodily states. Interception, the insula, you can actually thicken your insula. So, Sarah Lazar is a researcher and she talks about how long term meditators have a thicker insular cortex. There's also some really interesting work by Critchley that says that people who have thicker insulas score higher on empathy tests. Hmm. Well, that would certainly make sense. Right, and that goes right into that feeling of feeling felt, right? If you can feel your own feelings, mm-hmm. your own sensations, you often have a, a, a better read on as you're seeing, as you're taking in another person. Yep. They also have some interesting things. that So the, the safer you feel, the more you actually have the use, um, the more you can spend noticing your internal states because they're not inherently threatening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You need to pop out of them just to manage, right? So this is this sort of, we want to be able to create through sometimes slow titrated movement, the ability to have more and more interoception, and that will benefit the person in multiple ways. Neuroception is really looking at this lower brain assessment that's going on around safety, threat, the safety, danger, and life threat, right? And sort of moving through that polyvagal system. But it's on the lookout, right? The neuroception of safety is what we call it. Right. But you can use interoception or you can help somebody learn over time how to connect to their internal states to allow what needs to complete to complete, to stay with, there's an the inherent natural pendulation that will occur on its own, mm-hmm. given enough time, given enough safety, and that the body will, re, will re-regulate, that a discharge will occur, right? Somebody will come out of a heightened state and start to release and then to soften mm-hmm. and move at the end of the threat response cycle into this exploratory orienting, mm-hmm. right, in the present moment. So they're a little bit different, interoception and neuroception. You know, one of the things I was just reflecting
1: on is like, I'm like a pro hippocampus, (laughs) right? But what's funny about it is it's like, I'm aware of like words, like I was using, even my metaphors were languaging the body being able to language your experience. But I'm loving the insula now because it feels like, again, that bridge into, like, it's not just cognitive, like hippocampus isn't just cognitive, it's your experience of yourself. And making sense, you know, like mapping who you are in context and relationship. But insula, interoception is something that can be developed. Like neuroception just is. It's like gravity or something. It's mm-hmm. just true. Whereas interoception is, sounds like it's
0: something that can be developed. Absolutely. Is that fair? Yeah. Interoception is interesting because for some people, it's like a duck to water. Mm-hmm. What do you notice in your body right now? And they're like, I have a feeling of a a swirling movement in the lower part of my sacrum, and it's mm-hmm. it's fuzzy. And then there's a clear opening down through my left knee. Mm-hmm. And for other people, it's like, body, what body? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Now, for those folks, sometimes it's just they've never taken time to attend, but they actually have access. And for other people, there's a layer of dissociation. So that's, I often call it like a psychic byproduct of freeze, although you Mm -hmm. can dissociate when you're in high arousal or other states. But it's often paired to freeze where we were in a situation where there was life threat. And the nervous system can remain in a freeze and the consciousness can remain disconnected. I'm going to float away and be somewhere else. And when the person comes back into the body, what do they find? The freeze. The freeze. The terror, the immobility, right? Mm -hmm. And so then they float off again and try to do other things. Mm -hmm. But we can find ways through the interoception to say, well, let's be curious when you're gone and when you come back. What's it like when you start to come back? Oh, and well, now I'm feeling constriction in my throat. I feel quite afraid. Then we really need to slow things down and give them some tools, would you be willing to look around? Hopefully we did that at the beginning of the session or found right. one of the stabilization tools that might help them. Or knowing that there's nothing fearful happening right now, that this mm-hmm. is it's a memory from the past. Does it feel like you're able to stay with us for a little while and let's notice what begins to happen next? Because usually a movement will come or a discharge will come or what needs to happen Mm -hmm. for the person to come out of freeze, will naturally emerge in the process. Mm -hmm. So it's a very emergent oriented somatic work. Now, if the person is getting more and more distressed, we're not going to stay there. We might do some movement. We might look around. We might find the object, go back to the plant or the pot. Right. You know, so Sue, right now you're making a little bit of movement right, we're talking, right, mm-hmm. so there could be a little bit of a, a movement forward and back or side to side, you say, mm-hmm. does the movement side to side actually help you right now in some way? So mm-hmm. we catch, right, what the body is already yes, that's helping it to move towards the completion. Interoception is, is quite wonderful, and then it becomes more and more available, and a way of being in the world is that I'm consistently in my body noticing my internal states mm-hmm. even while i'm talking or i'm driving or i notice when i'm sitting with someone i'm getting disorganized i'm noticing that wow that was a big shock to my system i almost got side right now i'm going to pull mm-hmm. over on the side of the road and mm-hmm. take some time to allow my body to come down so that i'm not carrying that and i go back home to my kids and I need my chicken nuggets. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) And then I might pop into a
1: higher level of irritation. (laughs) Right, right, because you've carried it. You haven't completed the
0: act. Right. is trying to do six things at once.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So SC um, is sometimes known to be more for specific traumas, like uh, car wrecks, what we call the big T's. But you definitely talk about it more developmentally, cumulative trauma or little t, as we've referred to it before, But when we begin to think of S-E developmentally, like I don't necessarily want to totally detract, but what's the relationship between the nervous system and what you're working with there and attachment
0: science and attachment theory? Yes, it's such a great question. And I could talk for a long time on this topic because it's near and dear to my training and, Mm -hmm. of course, then to my heart. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the earliest sense of self, we call it the implicit self or the proto-self, We come in and we're just sensory, motor, emotional. There's not the explicit memory circuit. The cognition doesn't develop until much later. We're taking in the environment and we're taking in the primary relationships that are around us. So how we're interacted with, do we cry for a long time before somebody responds? Do we barely peep and somebody responds, or is somebody yeah. <laughs> you know, helpful or not helpful? Right. right. And there's a we look at some of the research on attachment, and you know, with, like Edward Tronick's work, when you're looking at, at mirroring, it's about thirty percent to be the good enough caregiver, right? heavens. right? Totally. I a lot. <laughs> or the good enough therapist. Yes. 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 Yeah? Yes. But the need for there to be some level of attunement, matching, the adult is also the parasympathetic regulator for the infant. The infant doesn't have a developed parasympathetic capacity closer into, you know, moving into like 18 months. So, and of course, in the first trimester, the, the first three months. And that's why we do a lot of swaddling and rocking, prosody with the voice, Right? It's an external... Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully, right? Hopefully, there's good enough attunement in those sorts of ways. But all of that is recorded, let's say, or it's recalled in the nervous system. So when there's a rupture, when there's poor, dysregulated attachment, anxious attachment, avoidant, ambivalent, disorganized, all of these are patterns that also develop in the nervous system. So... With anxious attachment, for example, when you're an infant and you're left in the woods, what will happen? You'll die. So the need for connection is a survival response. So let's add in connection as one of those necessary survival responses in the sort of in the threat response cycle, Although this is more in the attachment response cycle. So for people who've been more abandoned with neglect, where they haven't been attuned to in the way that they might have needed, right? When they form this more of this high anxious attachment. So if you don't give me what I perceive that I need, or if I don't get that connection, I will die. And so, you know, these are the folks that we, you know, you get, you don't get the call back from the Tinder date. Right. And they go into this feeling of like, everything's over. It's, it's like existential dread.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? But it's this high sympathetic charge that's left over from that infant state. As the adult now, you're not going to die. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it feels as if you could, and the physiology is still primed mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. So I do a little psychoeducation for people because psychology is my background. But even as a body worker, too, you'd work with that high sympathetic rev that's underneath, right? Imagine that's this baby state, right? This mm-hmm. wailing. I need someone, I need someone, please help me. Mm -hmm. And then notice what sensations go with that. Mm -hmm. We might do some contact, we might do some rocking. In the present moment, Mm -hmm. noticing how it is to be with me or imagining an animal, four-legged if people aren't safe yet, right? Or maybe the grounding. It's like, what can you do to just shift that Mm
1: -hmm. so that
0: the person can regulate a little bit differently? Mm -hmm. And with early attachment, The somatic work, it's not like a one-timer or a three-timer. It's longer-term work because those patterns took a long time to develop. And we need to come out of the high sympathetic arousal or the shutdown or the bouncing between the two in relationship to the attachment trauma. But really, because we're working in the implicit, we are working with those lower level, right? And for me, I'll often say with, the person I'm with, I just noticed that you looked at me for the first mm-hmm. time during the session. Or I might say, you know, I noticed that you keep looking away. Or when you say that, your spine contracts. Well, let's go with that. Was there a moment of misattunement? Or, you know, oh, well, some people will say, well, I'm kind of embarrassed, but I feel like I want to get away from you, right? Let's work with that. Because I imagine in your history, there were many times that you needed to get away from someone and you, and you weren't able to get away or we know this is connected to something in your history. So you stay with the somatic
1: work, but there is a way that you're explicitly tying it to these early non-remembered experiences. And I guess that you would say that, I think that you would say, this is what I have come to think, is that Mm -hmm. what attachment science partly is, it's the manifestation of these physiological defenses, these different, in which there are not that many, right? Because we're just, human animals. I mean, so there's not very many things we can do to get safe. And then so the categories, I think, are an outcropping of what has happened neurologically, biologically in the body. Because from an attachment perspective, we talk about it like internal working models, and it's a map of understanding ourselves and people. But that's kind of what I was checking out with you was kind of what what some of it's boiling down to me is it's actually Again, even when I'm thinking attachment language, I know the biology comes first, but this is like so much that the biology comes first, that that was what Mary Ainsworth was finding and that's what Mary Main. It's the manifestation of the body and of those strategies that we've had to kind of not back our way into, but kind of figure out through. And that's some of what neuroscience is like. The explosion of it has been able to really validate and amplify So that the attachment science is actually very real and very solid. And it's a little different in the sense that it's looking at behaviorally what happens and then imagining the internal working models. I'm just proposing this, right? But I think somatic experiencing working in that way, because I'm trying to think of like an attachment therapist would work with that in some ways and SE would work with that in some way, you know? because I sort of hear both, because by tying it into mental map into the internal working model explicitly, but you're still very much in the moment of what the shutdown is now. Is that a fair
0: way to describe it? It is. And sometimes, you know, you can pick up the explicit pieces, or somebody has a, you know, some sort of story, and that can be helpful. But other times that you just follow what the body is doing. Mm -hmm. And the person may have no memory Let's say abuse occurs when they're, you know, four months of age, nobody in the family knows about it, but once you start tracking the body, there's that neuroception of safety goes into Mm -hmm. a life threat quite quickly, and the person says, why does this keep happening to me? Every time I want to be intimate with my partner, I'm starting to go into this freeze. Mm -hmm. Or it was all fine until I, you know, there were all these other life stressors. And then intimacy became a challenge. It's sort of like a cumulative stress, right? Mm -hmm. Nervous system Mm -hmm. experienced. So, you know, we can work directly with the freeze and not necessarily know the content, which is very freeing for some people too. So this has been so
1: incredible and we could just obviously uh, keep going and going and going. And, but I feel like that we've really been able to pepper and give people some things to think about as a kind of, as a way of wrapping up, are there things that you would want people to really know and take away from this
0: podcast, whether it be Absolutely. skills or knowledge or anything like that? Absolutely. So, you know, trauma is not a life sentence. Neuroplasticity exists through lifespan. And a lot of the time, you know, you touch into sort of the the meaning or what's happening in the moment. But the more you can befriend your nervous system, the more you can develop interoception, the more you can start to check in with yourselves, Mm -hmm. whether, you know, you're a therapist and you're helping others, but even when you're sitting in session with your Mm -hmm. clients. And for those of you in all other kinds of profession and in your lives, What do you notice in your body right now? What sensations do you become aware of? It might just be basic, hot or cold, open, constricted, basic paired opposites. And then if you find some place that feels less comfortable, make some contact. Do some orienting. Maybe even do a little gentle movement. Mm -hmm. And notice if it helps you to feel a bit more regulated. So these regulation tools, skills, practices, those are things that I would definitely hope that as we covered some of those in our podcast today and then to know this kinship with wild animals right Mm -hmm. sometimes our our brains are going to go into these responses Mm -hmm. and it may be really beneficial to see a somatic experiencing practitioner Mm -hmm. or someone who works in another somatic or body-oriented psychological model Mm -hmm. that can really help you to get underneath to get unstuck Mm-hmm. Because the, the, that survival physiology is dressed up with nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And we can reorganize that. So it's, a, it's very hopeful. I can't tell you, you know, of all the thousands of people and all over the world, I teach nationally and internationally, and we all have bodies. Mm-hmm. And For many people, <laughs> this kind of work is
1: it's the missing piece. Yeah, I love that. And so, those of you listening, if you do kind of do a quick check in with yourself right now, know that you can't do this wrong. <laughs> you know, if you don't get anything right away, it's not wrong, but because you're already beginning to send little spikes of inquiry internally, even if you just know that you're hungry and you weren't aware of that before, that's a great beginning. And I know that there may be people very interested in developing this work. Can you tell people how to reach you? If, uh, Absolutely. And, and,
0: and you might even mention your trainings that you do. Yeah. So I am a trainer for the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute. So if you're a professional and you work in any healing modality, probably about 75% of the people who come to our trainings are in mental health. But we have a medical, mindfulness teachers, body workers. Many teachers recently have been coming in. But anywhere where uh, coaches, where you interact with trauma in the body, <laughs> we train professionals. So I teach in California and Montana. I teach in Australia, and I'm starting a training in Singapore. But we have trainings all over the world. So if you are interested, you can go to traumahealing.org. And then there's also somaticexperiencing.com. That's Dr. Peter Levine's website. You can find some great videos of him working, of doing some more somatic experiencing. He has sometimes classes for the general public. Other times it's for, again, practitioners who want to learn more of the work. He gives public speeches. So that's a way to find him. Mm -hmm. And then my website is abbeyblakesley.com.
1: And I really encourage you all to follow up and follow through with these resources. You know, the training is incredible. You'll find in our show notes when the way that you find that is you just go to the podcast, com backslash episodes, and then you'll see all the episodes. You click on any episode that you would like to see, and it'll pop up um, an incredibly rich set of show notes. So it'll be a summary of some of what we've talked about, but it'll also be all the links. And what we're going to do is she has generously provided us a couple of, uh, pdfs and things like that for anybody it's not just for therapists to kind of continue to introduce what the model is introduce peter levine and we'll also put some books on there Uh, is there any particular book you would recommend for folks
0: the two books that i would recommend and there there are many that are quite wonderful in an unspoken voice is dr peter levine's newest book on somatic experiencing And then for those of you who have kids, it's a wonderful book. It's called Trauma-Proofing Your Kids. Oh, wonderful. It's uh, Peter Levine and Maggie Klein. Oh, good. And that is a a short book. It's meant to be for uh, care providers. If you are a therapist, there's also Trauma Through a Child's Eyes. They've been on the bestseller list on Amazon for many 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 years so
1: wonderful wonderful so if somebody isn't familiar with Peter Levine and we're, we're just going to get I guess he has several would his latest book be where you would recommend they start or at that the beginning would be, that
0: would be where I recommend that they start okay his latest one yeah okay the original book is called waking the tiger yes that was transformative for sure for me and it's also it's a soft read Doesn't have quite as the level of detail that in an unspoken voice, an unspoken voice has more about the what to do, more up to date neuroscience and physiology. But it really describes; it's more descriptive. But sort of the general theory is really nice in in the Waking the Tiger. So you can go to a bookstore. Or take a look and read a little bit online and see which, which kind of... What you're kind of drawn to. Exactly. I, yeah. I, I do refer uh, Waking the Tiger to some clients, too. Mm-hmm. It has a nice poetic flow to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's an easier read, probably. It sounds like I haven't read the new one. but Well, that is incredible. Well, Thank you so much. Tons of material here. And I know particularly people are interested in, okay, we understand about this. Now, what do we do about it? So this is kind of an intro on some of those things to do of moving states, moving blue to green or red to green, and also mapping your system so that you can have more mastery over your nervous system.
0: That's sort of the taming of it. (laughs) If people are looking for practitioners, traumahealing.org, which was the first website I mentioned, is where you can find a practitioner directory and you'll find people in your area. Okay. Well, uh, very much appreciate it. It's been really delightful. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.